state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap back, hand off. Yan again off the right side, has got a hole, 15. Yan to the 10, to the 5, steps inside, touchdown. Chuck Yan from 21 yards out. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Yep, here we are, Tuesday night. Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. So glad you've chosen to spend a little bit of your night with us tonight. We have a full three hours locked and loaded for you. We're going to talk to one of our faves, Brendan Stye. Going to be with us, get his thoughts about Husker football after the spring game a couple of weeks ago. You hear Brendan with Ben on Husker game day. So, B. Stye going to be with us here in a couple minutes. Dirk Shatlin of the Omaha World Herald will stop by in hour number two. We're going to get his take on these NBA play-in games, which began tonight. The Eastern Conference has their play-in games tonight, the Western Conference tomorrow. It has that marquee matchup tomorrow between the Lakers and the Warriors. So you've got Steph and LeBron dueling it out tomorrow night. We'll get Dirk's take on what that's all about. We'll go beyond the headlines in hour number two. Top 10 Tuesday, our topic tonight, because of the all the attention that Medina Spirit, the horse that won the Kentucky Derby, finished third at the Preakness, but also got dinged for an illegal substance at the Derby, which now has been confirmed. We thought we would talk about the top 10 athletes that have been caught using performance-enhancing drugs. So we're going to have some fun with that topic coming up in the third hour of the program. And as always, phone lines are open and available for you at 531-500-4686. You want to be a part of the show either with a call or a text. If you text us, you're doing so on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular, connecting Husker Nation. Well, Ben, the Husker baseball team got a little help this afternoon as a makeup game between Illinois and Indiana was played in Bloomington today. These two teams met about a month ago and had their Sunday game called off because of rain. So they decided to make up a date and picked up this Tuesday and they played today and Illinois knocks off Indiana in 10 innings, three to two. So the Huskers pick up a half a game on Indiana. They lead the Hoosiers by a game and a half with Nebraska heading to Bloomington this weekend for the pod where they'll play IU twice and Ohio state twice. Nebraska's lead on Michigan stage right where it was when the weekend ended. That is at one game over the Wolverines. So a game lead on Michigan, a game and a half now on Indiana. Didn't expect that today. Really thought Indiana would take care of business and pull to within a half. But, man, might have to send a little thank you card to the Fighting Illini for taking care of some business today. Yeah. I, I uh, First of all, it was great to just have that on on a Tuesday, right? I mean, so many times on Tuesday night I'm – I'm watching South Carolina play the Citadel or I'm watching Arkansas play uh, Furman or somebody like that, you know, to actually have a matchup on my computer today that mattered was, was great. Appreciated that. Um, I tried not to get too excited about it, you know, because I think at, at this point you got to go take care of your own business, but it's, it's really next to impossible. Like I said, especially on a Tuesday to not, uh, when you have rooting interest to not root for it and watch it happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll take all the help that, that we can get. 
you know, ultimately this is going to fall on Nebraska's shoulders to handle um, handle their own business. But yeah, absolutely. The the more cushion and the more forgiveness that rubber band allows, then then we'll take all the slack we can get, and you know, still hopefully take care of our business on Friday against Indiana. You know, the Hoosiers, um, you know, hopefully are in their heads a little bit, Greg. They lose the series to Michigan and then lose on Tuesday to uh, Illinois. And now, you know, they stay at home. The game was in Bloomington today. And uh, you've got two good teams in Ohio State and Nebraska coming to their house. So hopefully they're they're doubting things a little bit. No doubt. Three out of four on the downside for IU uh, after they walked off the field with that 4-2 win over the Huskers in Piscataway a couple of weeks ago. So no momentum for them going into it today. And again, the Huskers pick up a half a game on Indiana. Only seven games left in the season for both Indiana and Nebraska. That odd half is because the Huskers had their game with Northwestern canceled on Sunday because of COVID issues. Congratulations to Cade Povich, Max Anderson. Uh, Josh had that in the ticker. They both were named uh, Freshman of the Week and Pitcher of the Week. Not sure who votes on this. Uh, The conference keeps that pretty quiet. To me, they've had some baffling decisions. Not that I'm opposed to Cade and Max won that, but man, I thought for sure Luke Roskin the week before would have won the the Player of the Week honors for what he did in in Piscataway, where he was just a monster at the plate for Nebraska. But certainly happy for Cade and Max, well deserving. They both had really good weekends in the shortened series against Northwestern over the weekend. We'll uh, talk more baseball as we make our way through the rest of the the show here tonight. We do want to tell you to book, buckle up and put that phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Got into this topic, Ben, last week when we had Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, on. He, he penned a column about, is it time to move the student section at Memorial Stadium? They're currently, they're kind of in the upper throes of the southeast part of the stadium they're, quite honestly they're disconnected from the game in a lot of ways and in places that we go to around the conference the students are generally much closer to the field and tom uh, wanted suggestions from people wanted thoughts from the fans about should that be changed tom's ultimate conclusion was move them to the north stadium so that they could really be interactive with the team during the tunnel walk and that type of thing. I, I don't know that that's my preference, but, I, you know, and, and who know, I don't know if, if Nebraska's looking at this at all, but, Ben, you've certainly been in a lot of college football stadiums the last couple of years being down on the sidelines with us. Y- your thoughts about where Nebraska's students are, and, and is this a legitimate thing that maybe they ought to get moved so that they have more of an impact on Husker football games? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's worth being brought up. You know, as you said, I've – been a handful of stadiums where they're in an end zone um you know and, and behind one of the end zones and making a lot of noise i've also been in stadiums where they're directly behind our bench so right behind the visitors that's certainly unique you usually learn some new words when you're down there um <laughs> amongst the students and i've also seen stadiums where they're behind their own bench um you know i think the way that it's set up now uh, you know, kind of tucked in that in that corner. You know, basically, as you said, the opposite side of where Nebraska enters the field with the tunnel and the tunnel walk. Um, you know, I, that's that's where the students were when I, when I was in school, and 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 obviously the way that it is right now. Um, I, I'm always for having the conversation of, you know, doing doing uh, figuring out if if 
Nebraska could put themselves in a more advantageous situation with their students um, or, or get that noise closer to the field and make it louder on your opponents, I'm absolutely for it. Um, I I think there are probably some season ticket holders elsewhere that are have other ideas or or maybe not fans of that. But, you know, I have seen it, you know, in other football stadiums, specifically in the Big Ten, um, you know, that that put the fans a lot closer to the field and make it a lot more noisy. Yeah, you brought up the sticky point to me is that if you make this move, and you certainly would have every reason to be able to do that, you're going to displace people who maybe have had their seats in whatever section you decide to move the students to for decades and you're going to ask them to move i I mean it's that's difficult to do once the students and i don't have my timelines completely down on this i think it was sometime in the 90s got moved 90s or, or early part of the century got moved up into that corner it's hard to go back. I mean, it's it's one of those things. You you make you take that step. You you probably can't go back. But you also, I think, need to try to one get them engaged in the games. They're going to be your future alumni, your future ticket holders, your future boosters once they graduate and get established in the business world and whatever they choose to do. So you want to have them have a great experience while in school. So I certainly can see reasons maybe to go and do this. In a perfect world for me, I would put them, I would move, I would do what the Huskers did last year, and that's move their bench from the east to the west. So put the Huskers on the west side, put the opponents on the east side, and put the student section and the band right behind that that bench. Make it hard on them to communicate. Have that band blaring out the fight song or whatever uh, they want to play during break so that it's tough to communicate for coaches down there on that side. That, that's what I would do in a perfect world. Again, I know... Have, if you do that, you're asking, you're going to ask several thousand people that we're going to relocate you in the stadium. That's not going to go over real well, I wouldn't think, for a lot of different people. But if I had a magic wand, I think that's where I would lean is move them right behind the bench. That can be really, really effective and make it really difficult. And you, you've been in a couple of those spots that uh, it's hard. You're down there just trying to report and listen to Matt and I and, and maybe pick up a thing or two from the coaches, but it's hard to hear anything if you're down there and you've got a student in a band right behind you. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, you know, there are also stadiums where you don't even really notice the students that much. Yeah. And Michigan, the big house, is the first one that comes to mind. And I think a lot of it's just the way that stadium's designed. And we, we've talked about this a lot where when you're on the field and you're in the top row, there is a lot of distance to cover uh, for that noise to travel. Whereas when you're a place like, you know, Aggieville and down in, in College Station or even the place like Penn State where they're more right on top of you and right on top of the field. Eugene, Autzen Stadium is another one where the noise just holds really well in the stadium. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of the stadium dynamics play into it too, but, you know, that that's, that's something you can't control. So I would find the stuff that you can control, uh, which is where they sit and have the proximity. And, you know, I think if – you know, you asked ask your average fan if they wanted to, you know, move the students to where it was more noisy on the field and provided maybe a little bit more of a, a home field advantage. As long as they're not taking their seat, I, I think most people would be on board with it. How much do you hear the Nebraska students on a game day? Well, if you're on their sideline, right, the south side, um, you can obviously hear them a lot better than we are in the north. Um, now, our fans are usually – 
pretty loud as it is, you know, and I think that's that's one of the things that makes our, our stadium great is, you know, when they're doing Husker power before the – um, before the tunnel walk and the Huskers are coming out on the field. It doesn't matter, you know, where the students are. Everybody's noise kind of blending together. But um, you better believe it's it's definitely louder on the uh, on the south end of the field when, you know, the team's about to score or whatever. Um, that, that definitely makes a difference. And it depends on, on what side you are. And I'm sure people that have been to the games would tell you the same thing. Yeah. Well, it, it, it makes for interesting topic and interesting fodder, but – um, and, and we'll get Dirk Chatlin's thoughts on this when he comes up later on in the program as well. But I, when Tom brought that up and we talked about it with him on the show last week, it, it certainly piqued my interest. And, and then I saw his conclusion with his column yesterday. And, again, he his thing is move him to the north end and put him up there uh, where they can really be effective with the, the, the tunnel walk, um, getting interactive with their team when they come on the field. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with that. But, uh, you know, I know college athletic departments are trying to find ways to engage the student body because, again, as I said, that's the next generation of boosters, of check riders, of ticket takers, ticket uh, buyers. That, that, that's what you have to do. And I love what they do at PBA, Ben. I mean, at PBA, that student section, the red zone, is right behind mm-hmm. both benches, up and down the court right there. Great seats in that lower half. The, uh, the overflow students then are behind the basket in the south end of PBA. But they have a real influence in the game. They, they really get in the ears of the opponents and support the Huskers at PBA. It's one of the cool things about Pinnacle Bank Arena is how much the students do affect, uh, do affect things at the basketball level. Delighted to be joined by our own Brendan Stye, former Husker great pipeline member and now part of the Husker Development Office and helps us with some pregame work here on the Husker Network. Hey, Brendan, how are you today? I'm good, Greg. How are you doing? Fantastic. Hey, congrats on the Go Big project, the big groundbreaking we had a few weeks ago. I know that has occupied a lot of people's times, and I'm told there's even some construction equipment now that has shown up over there. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a difficult, uh, obviously, year with the pandemic, and we were a little uncertain on how uh, things would pan out, but uh, it's incredible um, the amount of work that's been done not only uh, getting ready to roll out the plans, but also um, with the go-ahead of uh, the regents, um, we did get to that 80 million mark, which was a big step. Uh, we got another 20 million to go with about two years left to raise it, but it's been an incredible, uh, passionate uh, um, backing that we've gotten from a lot of great folks in private funding. How needed is that, Brendan, to keep the Huskers competitive? You know, we're, we live in a in an arms race, Greg, as yep. you know, uh, when I when I played in the 90s, Nebraska was the torch. Um, we were the best. Uh, we had the best in everything uh, as far as resources are concerned, from academics to football, strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition. And as the years have gone on, everybody's looked at what we did in the past, and uh, they've, they've emulated that and have gotten a lot bigger and better. Um, you know, the facilities we have now are undersized, and that's probably the biggest uh, concern moving forward with, uh, with Scott and, and his vision and, and really um, being effective and efficient with your space. Um, you know, we certainly have great facilities for football right now, but we're just – we don't have the, the big enough weight room to handle, you know, a squad that's bigger than 160 players. Right now we've got about 154 with, you know, possibly growing that squad up to about 165. 
and being able to um, operate e- efficiently. Um, meeting size uh, is is not effective. Uh, our team meeting room, you've got you know upwards of 30 people standing and sitting on stairs. It's you know, um, you know, you look at some of the the actual individual meeting rooms themselves; they're undersized, and and I think in particular um, our sports medicine for football is way undersized. And so, a lot of thought has gone into this. We haven't done anything since 2004 and five, and opened it up in six in the north. And uh, you know, I mean, we're we're ready to to hold that torch again. No doubt, and that's that's certainly you have to kind of keep up with the Joneses, and you've got to keep yourself relevant and that that was a huge step in getting that done and uh, so kudos to you and the, and the entire team over there for getting out and getting that money raised and off we go and it's gonna be exciting to watch the thing go up over the next couple of years we wanted to get you on and just get your thoughts about spring ball what what did you see from the, this team what 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 did you what were your takeaways from not only just the game on the first but just what spring ball was like for everybody yeah, I, I was able to watch about six practices, and one of the things that I was looking for um, was a physical uh, effort uh, by everybody involved. And I think that Scott talked about that going into this spring. One of the things they wanted to focus in on was being a more physical team. I saw that. Um, I saw it up front. And as you know, the game is one up front. Um, I think uh, what we have right now is plenty of talent. Um, you know, to play in the Big Ten, you've got to be physical. You've got to play four quarters of physical football. Well-conditioned team uh, with an attitude. And what I saw was, uh, you know, on both sides of the ball, finishing through through the whistle. And it's important, in particular, up front. As you know, offensive line is one of my areas that I, I really focus in on. And you know, each program has their nuances. And when you walk into a program as a freshman, uh, one of the things, being a college football player, you should not walk into a situation where, you know, you got a chance, a clear chance to start. There should be a mountain of competition in front of you. And, you know, competition brings out the best. And so what I saw in the practices that I witnessed and some of the scrimmaging that I saw that the media didn't get to see, saw a very physical, passionate team. Only one time, really, uh, did I see, uh, you know, the offense or the defense uh, favor. And that was that Wednesday scrimmage where the defense just, they were overwhelming. The offense couldn't recover. So uh, that was my big takeaway was a, a much more physical team uh, practice with a purpose. Yeah, and, and just watching the game, to me, physically, Nebraska looks more impressive than I can remember in the last five, six years. And, and Scott even said that after year one, and we walked off the field uh, playing Iowa, and he just said they were the more physical team, and I don't like saying that. I don't like admitting that. But now Nebraska, I think, Brendan, can step on the field with anybody they're going to play, and physically they're going to look the part, and, and that's a big deal. Greg, Greg Austin has talked about yeah. – they, they tweaked the, the way they went practicing this year a little bit. He said in the past it's just been speed, 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 fast, 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 get your play done. But he said this, this time they, they concentrated more on finishing plays and they weren't as worried about getting back to the line of scrimmage and getting lined up to snap the next play. Did you notice that at all when you watched workouts? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, let's start at the top of that. I mean, the eyeball test, you know, when Scott first got here, we don't look like that, right? And we we haven't in a long time. And and now what you're seeing is we talked about this, you know, when when the staff was hired, one of the most important hires that Scott made was Duvall and his staff with strength and conditioning. These guys have taken on a whole other look to them. It's almost a metamorphic change that's happened. So they're developing physically and they're developing mentally. 
And the way that they practice in this spring, um, yeah, I, th- I think that you saw more of that. You saw more kind of it slowing down and let's get physical and finish every single play. And, and, and you know, that's what it requires. You know, football is a very physical game, uh, even though I think you'll have a lot of people tell you it's basketball on turf um, with a lot of the schemes that they play. Uh, in in today's game, Um, but defense is always going to be physical and nasty. You know, you've got to match that offensively, and I I saw a lot of that. You know, um, the the transfer portal, Brendan, is certainly seem it's changed everything, hasn't it? It's changed the dynamics, and I'm going back to another thing I heard Coach Austin say. He's like, we got to keep recruiting our own guys. We we got to make sure everybody in our room that we understand what they're thinking, what's going through their mind where we feel like they fit into our program a little bit. This, it's almost NFL-like, isn't it, a little bit with what we've kind of gone to in college sports? Yeah, it, it has a feel of free agency, you know, and if, if a kid's not happy, and there's extenuating circumstances that always happen. Um, but, again, these kids nowadays, it seems to me, it's uh, it's almost like if they're not happy right away, they're ready to move on. And it's yep. a shame. You know, it's, it's a tough environment to be a coach these days. Yeah, you have to. Not necessarily walk on eggshells, but you got to be, you know, mindful. Um, you're not just looking at a whole forest now. You've got to make sure, and that's the toughest thing about coaching, being able to look at each each individual athlete and know that they're different and they respond differently to different types of coaching. Um, if you can do that, uh, you know, you've got a better chance at, at retaining and not having the attrition that you're seeing. But uh, it's difficult. I think um, a lot of these athletes are getting uh, sold a, a bogus bill of goods because the transfer portal is nice and it's great and everybody's got that one time but once you get there now what do you think they're going to just start recruiting you again unless you're an anomaly and you fit right into that that puzzle um you know it's it's tough to get recruited again back into a system there are wants and needs that teams have and they're going to you know pick and choose who they've got but a lot of kids are sitting in this portal without any offers so they're having to go back to the table and say well then now maybe i'll go to a place where i might get a scholarship if i work my tail off so it's even harder right but again uh there are extenuating circumstances and i see the side of the athlete um you know coach leaves you don't necessarily fit into the system um you know perhaps there is a mountain that you know that you'll never get over uh, but there's something to be said about hard work and, and putting the time in in really, really developing into the player that you potentially can be, not that you expect to be right away. Yeah, amen to that. All right, uh, last thing for you. I know I'm not going to make you throw a number out there, but you, you talk to the alums a lot. Uh, what, what kind of expectation do you think people have? Do they just want to see this team be competitive, finish some games on the upside instead of making the mistake late? What, what, what should people kind of think about as they hit the summer here and, and start to get themselves prepared for the upcoming season? Yeah, I think overall, you know, and I get a lot of this. It's not that everybody wants us to win a national championship. We want to be relevant again. We want to be a part of the national conversation. And, you know, guys like Feinbaum, you know, that say we'll never get back, you know, he's got a point. I mean, there is, you know, a certain, uh, I don't know, you get into a habit of losing. You also get a habit of, of winning. And all it takes is a few big wins, and all of a sudden now you've got some big-time recruits are saying that's where I want to go. And that's how it happened for us in the 90s. I mean, a lot of people forget about uh, the bad years, you know, with Coach Osborne. I remember being recruited, and they were getting their tails kicked by uh, Florida State in the Fiesta Bowl, and they called me and said, hey, things are changing. Don't look at what you're seeing right now. But 
building something here, and it takes time. Uh, being relevant is, is one thing, but uh, winning conference championships, I think people are looking for that. Um, you know, and Scott is doing it right. I, I'm here to tell you, uh, you know, that onion was very, very thick, a lot of layers to what he came into, and building the, the, the walk-on program back up and, and really kind of selecting, hand-selecting players that – and that's difficult with recruiting because it's not a science, but players that you, you have a great idea that are going to stick around and put the hard work in, guys that, that have chips on their shoulders that aren't necessarily the five-star, the four-star guys, but there's guys that have a tremendous amount of potential that, that want to put that work in. And so I think most people, the feeling is, you know, let's, let's just be respectable, okay? Let's, let's challenge for the West. Let's challenge for a bowl game, you know, and get there and, and, and get some more victories. Um, you know, and for me, Greg, we look at the schedule. Everybody talks about how difficult it is, but I say bring it on. I think the you know the better the team that you're playing, the better that you play. Sometimes when you play teams in your mind that you think aren't as talented, uh, you let your guard down a little bit. So um, you know, it, it seems to me in today's game, every game's pretty tough, and that parity is out there. Yeah, uh, you know, you you know how much how big momentum is in, in a football season because you only play once a week. And to me, the biggest game, Brendan, is that Illinois game. You get out there, win on the road, come back, take care of Fordham, take care of Buffalo, and all of a sudden you're 3-0, and and that locker room is juiced. You've been a part of it both at the collegiate level and the professional level. That momentum early in the season is what usually propels you on to having a good year. Yeah, I, I believe it, uh, it is a huge confidence builder. And, you know, some people will say it's not really how you start, it's how you finish. But uh, certainly in this situation, I think getting a victory right off the bat in the Big Ten can build that confidence going into a tough schedule. No doubt. Brandon, we appreciate it. Have a great summer. Can't wait to get this thing cranked up in late August. All right, you guys. I appreciate you having me on. You take care. Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald. Dirk, great to have you with us tonight. How you doing on this fine May Tuesday night? <laughs> you know, Greg, I uh, I really enjoy this time of year. Everybody seems to be in a pretty good mood. The weather's good. Uh, a lot of last days of school and graduation parties and all that stuff. So uh, I'm doing pretty darn good. Well, before we get into some some formal Husker talk, and I, I do want to talk a little NBA with you as well. Your colleague at the paper, Tom Chattel, has penned a column here in the last 24 hours about the student section for Husker football and maybe getting them better seats, getting them more involved in the game. Tom's ultimate suggestion was the North Stadium. I don't know that I'm in that camp, but what, where do you fall on this thing? What, what, what would be the best course of action if Nebraska was able to move that student section, or, or should they move the student section in your eyes? Well, I do think that, that getting them a little closer, getting more of them closer to the field, I think makes sense. Um, whether that's east side or west side, um, I don't have a strong opinion about that but i do think that i have sensed and you have probably noticed um just a, a little bit of a of a dis disenchantment disengagement uh with students over the past five to ten years as you know which is somewhat reflective of of the fan base as a whole but it's also i think reflective of of a generation uh of students that, that haven't seen you know, really good Nebraska football. And so I think there's more than where they sit or anything like that. I think there just needs to be uh, probably a little bit more of of an outreach uh, to getting students, you know, 
uh, into into the football season, perhaps more than than they have been. And I think I think some of that's happening already with you know open practices and things like that. Um, some of this is just going to come from winning. I mean, people get excited when, especially of that generation, when when Nebraska football actually wins games and, and has you know nine, ten, eleven win seasons. So that's a big part of it. But but I do think you know to, to Tom's point. Uh, getting them a little closer to the field, I think, would help. Um, you know, Nebraska really does need to uh, stoke the enthusiasm of, the, of those people. You know, 18 to 22 years old. I mean, it's it's. Um, you think about how old a person has to be now to really remember Nebraska uh, having a great football team, and you're you kind of go kind of got to go all the way to the you know, 35 years old for that to happen. So uh, I think a little bit more of, a, of an outreach for that younger generation would help, but uh, I'm not sure that, that it's so much about where they sit. Well, I, I yeah, I'm with you. Obviously, if a move like that is made, you are displacing some people. What kind of reaction do you think that would get? I mean, I'm sure there's – if you moved them to the east or west, you're probably going to move people that have been season ticket holders for, for quite a while and have donated for, for quite a while to the university. Yeah, I think there's some – I think there's been some really – uh, difficult conversations in athletic departments across the country about how to keep this. And I know it's happened at Nebraska too. Just how do you keep uh, the, the, the attendant, how do you keep the attending sports fan, the person, you know, who's showing up every Saturday, how do you make that as good an experience as possible? And like you just said, I think, um, you know, there, there's certainly a downside if you if you give somebody better seats, you're automatically giving someone else worse seats, and that might be some of your most loyal fans. So, um, Nebraska's got some really difficult decisions. I mean, and, and like I said, schools all across the country do. Uh, you're dealing with stadiums that are that are often a hundred years old. Uh, you're dealing with infrastructure issues and, you know, narrow concourses and all this stuff. And Nebraska has done a pretty good job at keeping up with the times on that. But, but it's, there's no, there's no doubt that it's just more appealing uh, to stay home and watch this stuff in your basement than, than it used to be. I mean, the, you can watch it on a 70, 70 inch screen in your basement. And when I was a kid, you know, you were watching it on a 24 inch screen. Um, <laughs> and so I think Nebraska has to continue to look for ways to make that stadium experience as good as possible. And yes, that includes doing it for, for your next generation of donors and your next generation of, of sellout streakers. Uh, but I, I just, it, it's, it's a tough thing because, as you just noted, if you give somebody one thing, you're taking it away from somebody else. Yeah, great. Interesting topic and, and makes for a good good fodder for all of us this time of year as we're kind of buying time before we get back into it uh, in August with with camps and, and media days and that type of thing. Dirk Chatlin's with us from the Omaha World. Harold, you can read his work online at omaha.com. Really love talking NBA with you as well. Those playoffs are about to begin tomorrow night. What do you make of this little uh, play-in thing that they've added, the new wrinkle they've put into the playoffs this year? Well, I think it's worked pretty well. I mean, it's uh, it's created, I think, in, in the NFL, I would I, – I think – would take maybe take a lesson from this just creating a few more ways to make each seed line have its have its own little advantages so 
Um, you know, for instance, in the NBA now, there's there's a separation between six seed and seven seed, and there's an advantage, you know, in being seven versus eight, eight versus nine, nine versus ten, and I think all of that makes the end of the regular season a little bit more interesting. I think the NFL could do that too by, you know, not necessarily giving every division champion a home game, uh, basing it more on record. Um, so, you know, it's it's an interesting tweak. I think these leagues are in a really tough spot because uh, they need the regular season to generate revenue. Uh, that's their TV contract. That's their, uh, you know, that's that's how they make their millions. And at the same time, by by, I think almost everybody would agree that these regular seasons are too long, and the last third of them often, you know, don't don't uh, generate much enthusiasm, especially in in basketball and baseball and hockey. Uh, and so I think you know anything you can do to spruce it up and make those seed lines a little bit different, you know, really helps. Uh, obviously, you're not going to have Steph Curry versus LeBron James every single year when you do this. But I think, you know, you are probably going to have a couple headliners in that game. Um, and, you know, you might say, well, LeBron would be a seven and Steph would be an eight, uh, even if the play-in tournament didn't exist, and that would be pretty exciting too. So, And I agree with that. But I think it does add a little bit of intrigue, uh, the idea that these guys have to win uh, arguably a game seven type of situation just to get into the playoffs. So, so I'm supportive of it. Uh, I think – you know, I think the the story quickly becomes after after Wednesday night whether whether LeBron and Anthony Davis can you know can get healthy enough to make a run. Um, but but for you know for what it is, I think the play-in thing has worked. Do you think we're nearing the the end of the line for LeBron? He's certainly been injury prone the last couple of months, and he's been so durable in his career. And I, I know they've jammed a lot of games in the last eight nine months. But do you get a sense at all that? We better appreciate him now because I don't know how much longer he's going to be here. Or do you think he still has some time, some sand left in the hourglass? I think it's a great question because when you consider the, you know, what he asks him ask of himself and his body, you know, at 36 years old, uh, at that size, uh, it's it's really really unusual for an athlete to stay at his peak as long as he has with all those miles. You consider all the playoff minutes over the years. Uh, he's been playing 80, 80 to 100 games basically since he was eight, 18 years old. Uh, it's pretty extraordinary that he's made it this long. And and I think if he was if he was at, at healthy, you know, he'd still he still has uh, the 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 potential I think to to be the best player in the league. It's just a matter of you know whether those ankles and knees and and feet. Uh, are gonna are gonna support him in the same way that they did three years ago or five years ago. I'm not quite ready for him to to be the old man who just you know goes down to the block and uh, <laughs> shoots turnaround jumpers. I'd like to see him, you know, have a couple more years at his athletic peak or close to it. Um, I think <laughs> I think his his pursuit of five and six championships, you know, is is pretty darn interesting as he tries to chase Michael Jordan. Uh, even if he's a seven seed, I think he's you know if he's healthy, he's the favorite. Yeah. Any other storyline? Are you intrigued at all by the Knicks? I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a franchise that's been a disaster really for the last decade. Playing some pretty good basketball. Do they have your attention at all? Well. I think they're a nice, fun story, uh, but I think the you know what's interesting to me is is the Western Conference. Um, just how you 
how you consider who might come out of there. I think, you know, if there's ever a year for the Clippers to do it, uh, this seems like it might be their year. Uh, Denver looked pretty darn good until Jamal Murray got hurt. LeBron's banged up. Anthony Davis is banged up. Uh, it seems like there's a door open there for Ty Lu and the Clippers to do it. Uh, but they've got a lot of mental baggage, too. So I think the West is always more interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, Brooklyn personally gives me somebody to root against because I think <laughs> Kyrie and Harden and Durant are pretty hard to root for. Uh, but I, I would imagine that those guys will, will get through to the finals. And if I had to pick somebody right now, I think uh, I think I would pick Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, it all gets going tomorrow night. Dirk, always great to catch up. Enjoy the end of school year concerts and all the great activities that are. And then here we go. <laughs> Summertime's here. I'm excited to have a, a regular football season for sure. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the Headlines. I honestly don't know the last time that Brett and I did a Beyond the Headlines together or 7-on-7 or anything like that, you know? It's been a long time. Reunited. Feels good. Yeah. uh, (laughs) We won't talk about who's in charge of the scheduling there, but uh, yeah. It's great. Hi, Brett. Hi, guys. How are you doing tonight? Great. So much better now (laughs) that you're involved. That sounds sarcastic, but I'll take it. By the way, Brett was asking uh, about the face-off trophy that's in here, currently held by Greg, but Austin, yeah. a chance to take it back on Thursday. I think he, deep down, really wants a shot at it, so no, we might no. have to get him lined no. up for a, a I, run of the title. I would get, uh, I would get uh, skunked on that pretty badly. <laughs> well, that would be entertainment. That's what we're here for, so we, we might have to line that up. Uh, Speaking of entertainment, our first topic tonight, uh, ESPN announced earlier today that they're working on a documentary about Derek Jeter. It kind of sounds similar to The Last Dance, which was about Michael Jordan, which came out about a year ago right now. So if you guys could pick one retired professional athlete to have a major documentary, multi-part documentary done on their career, who would it be? Wow. Well, are, are they doing, I'm assuming Kemba Walker's not in the conversation here. <laughs> yeah, he's not retired yet. Maybe in 20 years or something. Yeah, aren't they doing one on Tyson? That could be. I, that would be fascinating to me. I think there is one planned. Somebody's putting together a Mike Tyson one. That, that would be, I think, fantastic yeah. to watch. The Jeter one Just, is coming out in 2022, by the way. So that that doesn't do much for me, yeah. honestly. I, that doesn't yeah. do I 100% for me. agree. But they're, they're playing it up like it's the same thing as The Last Dance, which yeah. I'm no. pr- probably going to no, fall no. short. Tyson would be good because you got a lot of good TV footage for that one. Yeah, and just, I mean, the guy's been fascinating. He's had, he's a very flawed individual, and now he's an actor or whatever. I mean, he's just, there's a lot of parts to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that would be my guess. That would be my uh, my answer, I guess. Yep. I think mine, and, and Brett kind of mentioned why mine would be a downfall, but I would love, like, an in-depth, um, like, like, player, you know, type stories with the Negro Leagues. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough about that, like, you know, stories about Josh Gibson or Cool Papa Bell or Satchel Paige, you yeah. know, those types of players, I think would it would be really cool for just baseball fans to learn more about the Negro Leagues in general. Uh, but you wouldn't get a, get a lot of that. The game footage and mm. the, the sources where the stories would come from would be pretty hard to find, you know, because most of them are probably pretty old. Yeah. Um, I haven't 
Did you guys see Ken Burns' expose? Yeah. I never saw it. Is yeah, it baseball, good? yeah. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. I, really? I have it on DVD, in fact, so if you okay. want to watch it, I can lend it to you. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and I don't Roberto Clemente, I think, would be really interesting, oh, yeah. too. Um, yeah. That's a that's a story that I think would be worth telling. And uh, sad how it ended, uh, mm-hmm. you know, goes without saying. But, you know, I think that that's a that would be a good story. This is just coming to me now. But I think when the last dance was coming out last year, we did a beyond the headlines or we might have been still calling it seven on seven back then. But I think we asked something like. If there was a, a topic that you could do for something where there's not any footage, what would it be? And, like, you know, we talked about Babe Ruth mm-hmm. and things like that. So the gladiators. The, the problem with <laughs> doing documentaries like this is it almost has to be recent for it to have enough footage yeah, for you right. to be able to cover it. Yeah. I mean, and Ken Burns did a great job of, you know, having pictures and things like that. But people want to see video and right. really, you know, the Michael Jordan, like, that was about as early as you could get for it to be good good enough quality video. Mm. Yeah, no they, doubt. They just follow him around 24-7 exactly. with a video camera. That's, yep. yep. All right, topic number two. Uh, tonight is the first night of the expanded NBA playoffs. Adding to the playoffs has been a trend for the last couple of years across all of major sports. Um, so at what point do the playoffs become too big, or do you guys think they have already reached that point? Um, I to be honest with you, I don't really love the way that it is now with the play-in type tournaments and just not something that I. You're not enjoying this thirty-point game right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, it's not just that, but it's just whatever happened to, you know. All right, you finished eighth in the regular season, so you're gonna get the eighth seed. I think we're just out thinking the room a little bit when mm-hmm. we don't have to. Yeah, I read today that ESPN has a clause in their new contract with Major League Baseball that if they don't expand baseball playoffs, they're taking like $100 million off the table Ooh, for a right wow. So what do you think the incentive for Major League Baseball is? Uh, yeah, we're going to expand it. I mean, yeah. that's what they're getting twisted into doing that. Hmm. Yeah, and Dirk brought up the point of, you know, they want – they want the money from the regular season. They want to make the regular season interesting enough so that you bring in money, but the real money to be made is in the postseason because that's when right. fans start caring. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where you're getting beat on both ends of it. It's, there's, you know, I think it's just heading further and further in one direction and getting away from making the regular season have any importance at all. By the way, going back to our first topic, there is a Mike Tyson documentary, and apparently it's, coming, it's coming out uh, next week, a week from today, All May right, 28th. I'm there. I'm so, there. Uh, who's doing it? Yeah, who's is it Netflix? or? I think it's on ABC and then available the next day on Hulu. Okay. So gotcha. okay. It's a four-hour documentary, two parts, so two hours each for each part. Um, so the first part will come out a week Interesting from. that Disney took the Tyson documentary. <laughs> yeah. And um, – Mick said a couple weeks ago that he saw the Andre the Giant documentary mm. and said it was outstanding. Cool. Very good. Never a big WWE fan for me. Well, speaking of Mick, he's a big golf guy, uh, the, and the PGA Championship is coming up this weekend. The pairings were announced today. Three of the most recent major winners will be in one group. Colin Morikawa, who won last year's PGA, Hideki Matsuyama, who took the Masters this year, and then Ben's favorite, Bryson DeChambeau, who won the U.S. Open last year. So if you could put... <laughs> Three golfers from any point in history in their prime in one grouping Ooh. for a tournament. Who would you pick and why? Wow. Hmm. Well, it's got to be Tiger. Tiger's got to be in there. Sure. I think Nicholas has to be in there. And my third guy would probably be... Palmer. <laughs> ben Hogan. <gasps> Ooh. Going way back. Yeah, that's real bad. 
I'll go. I'll go with two of those three guys, but Arnie's got to be my third. Yeah, that's mine too. What if you were to pick three current players, three players right now? Who would you pick to be in a in a grouping? That one's a little uh, bit harder for me. I don't think that it's quite as obvious. Kepka and DeShembo, obviously, that uh, would need to and be Rory? in there just because how much they hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> um, That's the Rory? thing is that there's there's a lot of aspects to this. It's not just necessarily the best golfers, but who would provide a lot of en- entertainment Entertain, yeah. and competition yeah, take, against each other. I would take someone like Rory or even uh, Spieth. Spieth. You know, Spieth is, is usually good TV. Sure, yeah, he does a lot of talking. Yeah, you need a good talker. Yeah. He does. He's always <laughs> chattering out there, and they yeah. love to have the mics close to him. Oh, yeah. You can hear everything yep. he's thinking. They, I think they, and obviously the networks have picked up on that, and they always have a bunch of, you know, I feel like they do a much better job of miking him up than anybody yep. else. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, topic number four earlier today, some votes for the NBA MVP quote-unquote leaked, and they showed that Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets had all 28 of the first-place votes that were recorded so far. So with it looking like Jokic will run away with the MVP this year, and with your extensive NBA <laughs> viewing, do you guys agree that Nikola Jokic was the most valuable player for his team this year, or do you think there was another uh, viable candidate? It's Jokic for me. I, you know, contrary to belief, I watched a lot of NBA this year. <laughs> he he did it. He did. He just does so much well. I mean, he does. And, and then you look at him, and you're like, that guy's not a passer. That guy can't shoot the three, uh, but he can. And yeah. he, you know, he's just kind of that, you know, gargantuan dude thundering down the floor all the time. You know, and it just doesn't look like an offense would roll through him. But he's really, really good, and I think he's more than worthy of uh, of taking it home. So yeah, he would be my pick. Steph has had some eye-popping yeah. games, hasn't he? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, think I think if they finish higher, the, then you have an argument. I, yeah. yeah, I think he's True. probably but, your number two, right? He's got to be. But yeah. he's the one guy on that team. Like he's it's been just like, carrying the team. It's too. looking like Embiid is going to finish two, actually. Really? Yeah. Embiid had an awesome year. He, he did. really did. It was it went under the radar a little bit, but yeah, he uh, he had a good year. I think I, I saw a stat for Jokic. It said uh, he was the he was the third player in NBA history that finished top five in points, rebounds, and assists in the Ooh. for the year, which is just crazy for a, a seven footer like that. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, it is crazy. All right, well, that's two of the first four topics have been NBA. So I promise that we won't have any more the rest of the way. In fact, we're going to move to uh, the country of Australia and a 111-year-old man named Dexter Kruger, <laughs> who is now officially the oldest male to ever come from the uh, country of Australia. And Oy. he achieved that feat yesterday. So in an interview... Good for that person. Yeah, good for him. He, uh, <laughs> he said the secret to his old age is eating one chicken brain every day. Whoa. He, in what? fact, gets them special delivered to, to his nursing what? home in Australia, a little town called Roma Let's in Queensland. So uh, your thoughts on eating chicken brains, would you do it? And also, if you had to pick one thing that you think is the secret to living a long life, what would it be? <laughs> Come Man. on. So chicken brain can't be that big, right? No, that's what he said. He said it's so small, size? it's just a tasty little treat. Like a brain, I can tell you, I grew up on a farm. Chickens oh, don't have very big brains. They're not <laughs> the smartest animals out there. Yeah, I'd say maybe about the size of a quarter. Hey, if that make, if if it was scientifically proven, right? I mean, you're, you're like it's just a fact, you know. Like there's there's research done on it or whatever. Spend your life done on by everything. an average of twenty years, let's say. You I, you I, could you I'd could do, do you could pull up the internet right now and find a study that says anything is good for you in some capacity. I'm yes. sure, right? Yes, sure. Um, but 
yeah, if it, if it was actually scientifically proven and it was just a thing, I'd do it. Sure. Yeah. If they and if they were easily accessible, like if right. I could go well, up to my local grocery store and buy a, a pack of them. Right. And I don't think you would be having much luck in the U.S., but you, yeah, you would have to I do mean, a little I, digging. Just throw one of them in my eggs in the morning, and they could, they could work on the good. taste too. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, he said they're pretty tasty. He I'm just—I'm sure it doesn't really taste like anything. I'm sure it's just the look and the texture. The texture, yeah. well, and just yeah. the idea of it. I feel like they turn aspect. a lot of people off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were to make like scrambled eggs and just chuck it in there, and you might not even know you're eating it. <laughs> oh, boy. True. It's I, pretty. I, I, I think I'd go more to the sea. Give me an octopus. Yeah. Okay. I can. Yeah. I can see that. I like it. A little chewy it, wait, for me. What, where's the octopus? Yeah. What what's the octopus puss part of this it, question? Is that what you think gives you the long, the long life? Okay. Yeah. Ben, what about you? What do you think the secret is to living a long life? Uh, Brad, not actually, what's your? That's for sure. <laughs> uh, what is your fountain of youth, Ben? <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think of like what I do on a consistent basis, and I'm like, yeah, this is super good for me. Uh, I, the one thing that I <laughs> twelve ounce girls. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that I do that actually. I've heard, I heard a long time ago that you're supposed to do is eat breakfast every day. Like, don't ever miss a breakfast. And so I really have I've tried to do that. I don't know. What I to have do been, so I've never been a breakfast person, but since having a kid, I am way oh, more to. consistent with yep. that now than I ever been. Yep. You have to. I, I've become more in the last couple of years, more of a breakfast eater and my wife's not. And so like, I'll go out and eat breakfast sometimes and she'll go, where'd you go? I go, I went and got breakfast. She goes, why? I go. Well, you don't like to eat breakfast. Well, I want to go get hungry. some pancakes I go get something, yeah. <laughs> Smart. I love it. <laughs> Brett, do you have anything? You're not, you're not, you don't have any secrets Secret, over there? Secrets you're holding out on us. What was the question again? Brett's Se- not even awake for breakfast. <laughs> secrets to uh, living a long life. Secrets to living a, uh, a normal sleep schedule. Throw that one out there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's actually a pretty good one. I'm not going to lie. Yep. It, that probably is smart. All right, uh, next next topic, topic number six here. Former supermodel Naomi Campbell has just welcomed her first child, a baby girl. Uh, now, what's notable about this story is that Campbell is now 50 years old. So with your own experiences in mind, what is the oldest that you would want to be while raising your first child? Could you be mm-hmm. 50? Ben, you're right, and that, that's in your wheelhouse here, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I was really dragging my feet of of raising a child because you know the commitment that it makes and you know you can't there's what are the, what's the saying no days off there really isn't a day off right no can't take uh, a day off and raising but I don't know that I would want to start like in my 40s with my first one okay like, I feel like 40s for let's you let's say let's say five years from now when I'm 35 that's that's probably the abs- absolute maximum really I would, right. would want to start yeah. this journey okay well and Greg you so can you answer this to... question too because you've raised children and yeah. so you know what what age you you know probably would be like nope that's it yeah I, I, I think mental toll you get you get much past f- uh, 45 you probably you know you think about like alec baldwin right now he's got like six oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like 65 yeah. And, yeah. and he's having babies i'm he like oh my gosh yeah that <sighs> no thanks i just that don't just know seems how wrong yeah. just give me grandkids at that age <laughs> yeah <laughs> see them twice a week and you can be the one spoiling them yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 45 might be the cutoff right. point right, right in that area all very right good 35 and 45 all right very good all right, uh, our last topic comes from California, and a man there was arrested recently after a police 
police officer noticed him riding by himself in the backseat of a Tesla, so the car <laughs> is driving itself. And while that might be something that will be allowed to happen in the future, it is illegal right now. So with that said, what futuristic thing are you guys most looking forward to happening, hopefully in our lifetime, but something that has been talked about for a while or you see in the movies that you hope will t- take place while you're still living? Man, you guys are bringing the... Bring the heat. Deep questions tonight. I've, I've got a good one for this one. Let's we'll hear get, it. What is it? All right, I'll start you off. I, high-speed rail system all across the U.S. Yeah, that's, please, oh, that's please, a really good one. Please. That's, just, that's a super good one, Brett. I just want to be able to take and, a high-speed train across. I mean, you could go with something like non-realistic, like time travel or teleportation or something like that, but that's a good realistic one that actually is talked about happening in and the next Europe's 10 to 15 years. Europe figured it out 20 years ago, so what are we, what are we doing right now? <laughs> well, and even but even China like figured it out? Higher on, speeds man. than that. Yeah, we need I would, I would co-sign, not like anyone needs my approval, but I, I would co-sign on that. If if the bill ever came to me, well, let's go be lobbyists <laughs> for the train companies. And All take, right, you take tell on me, the you tell me where to business. be and what my sign should say, and I'll do it. <laughs> Sounds good. J- Josh said what I was thinking, and that's teleporting. I mean, how, how cool yeah. would this be, Ben? Like we, we wrap up a baseball series in Bloomington, and oh. we can just like teleport, and you're back in your house like boom, 20 minutes later. How about Piscataway? You get done, and boom, oh, yeah, yeah. Boom. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the travel from New Brunswick back to Omaha <laughs> is pretty great on a stop. on a Sunday night. <laughs> sometimes a Monday morning. So, yeah, sometimes, sometimes when it gets delayed due to or, weather fog yeah, or sometimes 13 inning games <laughs> oh goodness yeah yeah it's a really enjoyable place to drive we'll and love friendly people great just all around good good top tier. good time <laughs> it, it, it's you know it does kind of let you expand your mind to think about all right w- what's going to be going on 30 years from right now right. that we can't even really imagine yeah could be taking place and it's it would probably blow all of our minds right and hey mm-hmm. we got all these ufos flying around right now that you know there's <laughs> people from outer space in our own atmosphere yeah. right? how many years? times are we going to go down this rabbit hole in this segment? did you see 60 minutes the other night 60 minutes had a whole thing on it yeah they did when, when 60 yes. minutes does it you know it's, legit. It's, it's legitimate yes i might have to go watch that now oh it was a great segment but then these Navy pilots are like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it, it's something I've they're, never seen. They're like, yeah, we saw it every day while we were yeah. trading and it just didn't say anything. Oh, boy. Yeah. They go, we didn't want to be called nuts by people. But, yeah, we all <laughs> everybody in the plane saw it. We all saw it. Well, didn't Baker Mayfield see a UFO not that long ago? Yeah, we did. I saw that, yeah. That headline. Beautiful. UFOs. No, it does make you think about things like that, though. It's uh, I, I, And it's funny, too. Like, I feel like even when, you know, Ben, you and I, and uh, Brett, you were a little bit younger than us, but growing up in the 90s, I feel like there were so many things that were talked about of what was going to be around in 2020, and I don't think we got to most of those things, yeah. but there's still at least possibilities. I was promised, promised hover cars, I think, in about 2000. <laughs> every every movie in the in the early 2000s had a hover car in it. Yeah. Was uh, The Will Smith iRobot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought we were going to be living in right now, because I think that's set in 2022 or something like that. Right. <laughs> True. All right, that's it. Wow, that's all we got covered covered a lot of bases. There. We did. We kind of <laughs> went off. We went away from sports Lots with our last sports. three topics. Oh wait, but. what? <laughs> uh, I wanted to know yeah, about ben, these UFOs. Now you, you got to go see the sixty minutes piece. It was oh, yeah. real. I mean, I'll, I'll send you a little clip of it right there during the break. I was sending send it to my some of my buddies the other day. So. I kind of want you guys to just finish the show so I can just go watch it. Okay, right now. Very good. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. 
Well, we kind of went off of a topic. Well, I'll let Josh kind of lay it out. You you were the one that kind of, this was your brainchild, and I liked it. Yeah, Medina Spirit, of course, uh, has been in the news the last few weeks with the uh, doping allegations. And uh, it was announced, I think, earlier today, actually, that Bob Baffert's horses will not be allowed to run at the Belmont, which is big news because they were allowed to run at the Preakness. So, yeah, decided to go with the top 10 uh, PED slash doping scandals in sports history. So it doesn't have to be horses. It can be people, which I actually went with for all of mine. It, well, am I crazy? Is baseball like the biggest, yes. <laughs> By biggest far. guilty baseball thing in this whole? Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's track, but honestly, I, it, minor only baseball. Well, there's one other one outside of outside of those two, but nine of the ten are in, that, in those two sports. All right. So Ben, easy, tough one to put together for you? Um, Not really. I mean, I think the toughest part was like, you know, I think I had 12 on my list, and like picking eight through ten – and then leaving two off was the hardest part. Like, how do you pick between some of those other yeah. ones? But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, my top five are super easy. Okay. Well, Josh, this is your category. Lead us off. All right. Sounds good. I, I'm actually going to go to track and field for my first one. And this is by far the furthest one back in history from 1988. And Ben Johnson, a sprinter who uh, at the Seoul Olympics, after that he was um, had tested positive and he was stripped of his medals. He was suspended from track and field for I think a couple of years actually so this is one that I had kind of heard of but I had to read up a little bit more on to kind of find out the details of it but apparently there was he said or people said that there was a lot of of that sort of thing going on in track and field at the time but he was taking a different substance than a lot of the other guys and so that's why he was caught they for some reason were able to figure that one out whereas they couldn't with the other ones but okay very good i'm number uh, my number 10 is baseball and it's rafael palmero had great had a great career and jose canseco comes out accuses palmero of using steroids palmero testified in front of congress said that he never used steroids period but then he was later suspended for testing positive for anabolic steroids. Although he claimed he didn't, he didn't know that he was taking it. Uh, what a, I mean, his numbers, over 500 home runs, 3,000 career hits, but most fans only look at him now as a guy that, that took, a, took an illegal substance to benefit his, his game. So Paul Merrill, well, my number 10. The, the funny part about, and he's actually my number 10 too, ironically. The, fu- the funny part about him is like, there were plenty of, of baseball players that just owned it. Like, yeah, whatever. I did it. Everybody else did. But, like, and, and those guys are the ones that seem to slip through the cracks yes. a little bit more. And, and then ever since he was whining like a little baby on that, everybody knows that clip. And that's why I put him on my list is because we've seen that clip of him and he's, I didn't do it. I didn't ever do it. And yeah. then he's like, okay, actually, I did. That's why we remember it. Like, just yes. own yeah. it like everybody else. Yeah, and he's actually my number nine, so make it three in a row here. But uh, that's the reason why he slipped onto my list, Ben. That's a great point is because there are a lot of guys that probably could have been on here. And th- this one was memorable, one, because it was somewhat early on in, in baseball realm of things, but also just because – it was, yeah, he denied it so adamantly in front of Congress and later what tested positive. All right, my number nine is Floyd Landis from the world of cycling. Um, he's not the biggest name from cycling that's on my list, just a spoiler alert there, but he was flagged in 20, 2006 when one of his samples tested positive uh, after he'd had a huge comeback in the Tour de France. And everybody's like, wait a minute, how, how did he do that? And then, yeah, it, and then he's the guy that publicly outed Lance Armstrong. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll get to Lance later. But Floyd Landis makes my list of number nine. 
and it's funny that that that, that was your nine because that was the internal battle I had was, okay, do I have Palmeiro's blow up in court or do I have Landis blowing up Lance yeah. Armstrong? And I went with Palmero, <laughs> so I'm yeah. glad you had Landis on there. Um, my number nine, I've actually got Mark McGuire here at number nine, and it, it's, it's going to become such a, you know, splitting hair scenario for me throughout this list of, of who to put what where. Right. But, yeah, Mark McGuire, definitely worthy of a spot on my list. And, you know, to think about that, um, home run race he had with Sammy Sosa and obviously um, you know him falling in line with some of the biggest sluggers that we'll get to of of being tainted by steroids but McGuire here number nine all right up to number eight next I'm going back to track and field with this one and Marion Jones some of the first female on my list and she was investigated in the 2004 Belco investigation and ended up lying under oath. She had a 2006 positive test and was stripped of a bunch of medals. And this one actually stood out to me. This is one of the ones that I remember from, like I paid, started paying attention to the Olympics starting in 2000 and remembered watching her and thought she was really great. And then this was, you know, kind of a, a big blow to, to that with the things that she had. And then she actually ended up going to jail, I believe later on. So she's a, she's my number eight. Okay. My number eight, I'm back to baseball and I've got a rod here. I mean, he was just sailing along and he didn't have the bulked up look that a lot of these guys had that make you suspicious. You just thought this was a phenomenal talent that was doing all these things, but it came, uh, came tumbling down on top of him in 09 when he, he openly admitted that he used performance-enhancing drugs earlier in his career, got a 211-game suspension, mm-hmm. which you only play 162 in a year, so it was more than a year. Uh, he, he appealed it, kept playing. The ban, though, was upheld. He missed the entire 2014 season, and uh, you know now he's part of the Sunday Night Baseball crew and a big spokesman for the game, but... He's kind of shaken that off a little better than a lot of these guys have, but still a still a guy that openly admitted to doing it. So A-Rod makes my list at eight. All right. <clears throat> my number eight, I'm going back to the track. I've got Justin Gatlin here at number eight. Um, you think about him as one of the fastest Americans to ever run, and it's sad that it's to this point, but as soon as you fall into that category, your first question is, all right, well, is he doping? And unfortunately for Justin Gatlin, um, that was the case, and he – along with so many great American sprinters, uh, one of which Josh named might hear later on as well from the female side, tarnished by the old performance enhancers. Yep. All right, up to number seven, back to baseball for me, and I have Jose Canseco here. I, I probably could have put him at number one, but his, I feel like he's just been a, a consistent guy. Since his book, Juiced, came out, he's, you know. <laughs> he was been, the original whistleblower. He was the, yeah. yeah, he was the original one, and he's been, you know, telling everything about everybody. And uh, even since the book came out, you know, he has the inside scoop on everything. But I just feel like since he, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't seem like as big of a thing now, I guess. And it's also just kind of. You know that Jose Canseco is a, a fruit cup, so he's a you know he's kind of he doesn't have it all together. So I don't have him up quite as high as maybe I should, but I have Jose at number seven. Okay, my seven. Josh had a ten. That's Ben Johnson, and he was the rival of Carl Lewis during those '80s, and the, it culminated in the '88 Summer Games. Carl was the dominant sprinter and long jumper in track and field. And then here's this Canadian sprinter that outdashes him. But it was only like two days after the 100-meter dash that he tested positive and it got stripped right away from him. And uh, Carl Lewis was certainly a media darling in the United States, a very commercialized athlete, did, did a lot of 
promotions, endorsements, that type of thing. And so he kind of he kind of got his glory back because he, he got beat by a cheater in yeah. Ben Johnson. So Ben's my number seven. All right, my number seven was mentioned by Greg at eight. I've got A-Rod here at seven. And the funny part about A-Rod, you know, you think about – uh, you know him and J Lo, and you know there's a lot of other parts to A Rod that you don't. Re- you, you, well, yeah, but <laughs> now it's now it's A Rod and the T Wolves, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many other parts of his life you kind of forget that how how oh, yeah. badly busted he was for roids. I mean, you yeah. said missed an entire year, but you really don't think about it that much when you think of A Rod. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely uh, a big no no for him, and and popped with it, and you know, again, another big time slugger that's found himself. Uh, in trouble with it, and you know that's just an absolutely monstrous suspension for him. So I got him at seven, no doubt. All right, my number six, I have Manny Ramirez here. He had, was part of a 2009 investigation and then had a positive test, and it was actually for a female hormone, uh, which was I feel like made fun of a lot at the time and made it a little bit more memorable. And he had a 100 game suspension. So it, he was just another one of those big name players that was a part of it. Had been kind of you know been suspicious for a while because he was one of the biggest sluggers in the game for a long time and this was kind of toward the tail end of his career this was definitely not in his prime but it kind of made you wonder what he had been doing earlier on too so i have manny at number six manny ramrod oh he could hit it (laughs) all right uh my number six ben had at nine that's mark mcguire And, and part of me kind of feels sorry for mcguire because even when he was denying it, you could kind of tell that he knew he, he knew he was guilty, and finally he opened up and said that he did. He thrilled this country in 98, he and Sosa, with that home run chase in 98, which really got fans back into baseball after the devastating strike of 94. Baseball suffered for a couple of years, but that home run race that summer captivated this country, and so he did a lot of good for the game. But then at the end, he had to kind of, Finally open up and admit, yeah, he did, he did, and he's admitted it was a huge mistake that he did it, but it certainly helped him launch those 70 home runs there in 98. Yeah. Definitely didn't hurt his cause, uh, you know, bombing those things out of the stadium. Yeah. All right, my number six, Josh, you had it seven. I've got Jose Canseco here. You talk about a dude that just open to just wear it. <laughs> I mean, he's just uh, absolutely open about it. Uh, we talked about his book already, uh, but just, to, just to, the dude just – doesn't care about it you know and just w- willing to talk about it and i'm sure you know made guys definitely like palmero but other dudes that he's ma- he mentioned by name by name going come on man what's what what's the deal here but yeah jose Canseco for me number six and he, he moved up a couple of spots because he uh, helped the ballpark get over the fence by having to hit him on the head yeah there you go all right my number five is a little bit different here so it, it, i have roger clemens one he's a pitcher so you don't necessarily think of steroids for pitchers but he was mentioned in Canseco's book. He was also mentioned in the Mitchell report. But I don't believe, and at least when I was looking, he didn't have any actual suspensions or ever admit to using steroids anyway. So it, his is a little bit different, but I still feel like with everything that was thrown around and all, all the different parts of it, I feel like he's worthy on this list and maybe not quite this high. But I really d- didn't like the guy, so he, he moved <laughs> way up my list because of that. So. <laughs> All right, my number five. I'm going to football here. Julius Peppers, who had just came charging onto the scene uh, in the in the National Football League, sacking guys left and right, and then he gets derailed with with the steroid charge, suspended by the league. One of the first high profile guys in the NFL to get dinged, and I felt like I needed to have somebody from that sport. So sure. kind of by default, he was the at least I thought the the biggest name guy that's been caught. So Julius Peppers on my list at five. 
My five, Josh, you mentioned earlier, I've got Marion Jones up here at five. I mean, we, we knew it was really popular with male athletes, but Marion Jones was the first superstar female. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a bombshell when it happened. Um, I mean, you just didn't necessarily lump her into that category, but, you know, hindsight should have made sense uh, how she was performing so well. And, you know, just a really weird situation, as, as Josh kind of laid out a little earlier, but, you know, probably the biggest female maybe ever from the American side to be popped with steroids. So I have her at number five. And I feel like more than a lot of people on this list, list her life just completely fell apart oh, yeah. following that. Absolutely Compared to where derailed. it was before, her reputation was just tarnished way more than anybody else on this list. So kind of an inter- interesting thing there. All right, up to number four. You guys both mentioned this one. I have Mark McGuire here. And it was interesting. I remember very clearly in 1998 when he was in the middle of that home run trace, uh, Chase, he admitted to using Andro, and like they, the reporter saw it and asked him about it. He's like, "Oh yeah, I take it." And it wasn't a banned substance at that point, but it was an anabolic steroid. So he's using steroids then, even though they weren't illegal. And then, of course, accused of it later on, and then admitted it. And I think it was 2010. So um, yeah, Mark McGuire is up there just because I feel like he was the biggest, one of the bigger names to admit to it at least later on and so just with how big his name is with home runs in the sport of baseball he's he's up there for me okay my four ben just had and josh you had it earlier and that's marion jones and you're right i mean she she spent time in the clink because of this this thing and she was just a tremendous athlete and the one female on my list so marion jones on my list at four all right, my number four mentioned by both of you guys, uh, Josh at 10, Greg at 7. I've got Ben Johnson all the way up at number four. The thing that made this interesting was, as, as Greg said, the, uh, the rivalry with Carl Lewis, and you know, it didn't take long for that to be you know, popped and um, you know, be investigated, so to speak, and then to, uh, you know, t- to be investigated. But we all know that you know, Carl Lewis wasn't exactly – uh, you know, ridged his hands of this either. It was a big topic of conversation if Carl Lewis was involved in that too. But Ben Johnson, yeah, the the rival uh, a hemp of his, and you think of Carl Lewis, it's one of the first names you think of of track and field. And uh, yeah, as Greg said, this guy from Canada comes <laughs> comes out of nowhere and you know shattering his records and beating him, but then um, unfortunately found himself on the on the wrong side of the list. Yep, hurt. Very good. All right, my number three you guys have both had again, and I have A-Rod here. And the reason why I have him up so high is because of what you guys mentioned, his suspension being for an entire season, one of the biggest, most harsh penalties and of one of the biggest names in the game on one of the biggest teams in the game. So just with how I feel like it was talked about the entire time that he was suspended and then when he was coming back and would he come back and all those things, I feel like it was just a prolonged storyline. So that's why I have him up so high. And plus it's been – it's the biggest recent name that I can think of in, in baseball, at least. So I had A-Rod up there. And you're, you're right, though, Greg. He has kind of bounced back from it yeah. pretty well, more than a lot of guys on this list. And part of that is because he admitted to it and, like, yep. you know, he, he owned up to it. So good for him for doing that. But at the time, I feel like it was a pretty big deal. Got a second here to tell you to buckle up and put that phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. My number three is a guy that can't admit it, and that's Rock the Rocket, Roger Clemens, who is, is a, he appeared in the Mitchell Report as being a guilty party. He was outed by Ken Seiko in the book, but he just still claims it was only hard work that got him to do all of that. Uh, and so I just I lose a lot of respect for a guy that, that can't admit to a mistake. And so I put Clemens on here. He's my number three. 
How dare you insinuate, Greg, that he was involved in that? <laughs> I know. How, that being said, Roger Clemens is my number three. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I just – Josh is right. The interesting thing about him is he's a pitcher, right? I mean, yeah. it's uh, you, you didn't really see Why? that a whole lot. It was all these big sluggers. But, yeah, 100% for me, uh, Roger Clemens worthy of a spot. And, dude, it might cost you a spot in the Hall of Fame because of it. So, it, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely on my list. So far it has. And another guy that has been cost a spot in the Hall of Fame is Barry Bonds. He's my number two course the balco scandal and that investigation and since then again it's like clemens he hasn't really admitted or owned up to it and because of that the uh hall of fame voters aren't voting him in so i i feel like he's when all that started coming out like obviously because he owned a single season home run record and the career home run record later on after it all come out it's obviously been one of the he's the poster boy for steroids in baseball so i have him at number two he is and and i'm a guy that if i had a vote i would vote both of them in just because they were great players and to me bonds was a great player before he started to juice and he was going to be a hall of famer but he couldn't he couldn't get himself away couldn't get himself away from the temptation of doing it yeah and i think he was jealous of the attention sosa and mcguire got in 98 yep. and he decided well i'm gonna join him and do that and i'm gonna be the home run king in the end uh, it, it's sad because he was an amazing amazing player and it didn't need to do that to be an amazing player but yep. he's on my list at two yeah barry bonds for me number two um yeah i mean Look at a picture of him when he was with the Pirates and then look at a picture of him when he finished as a Giant. And uh, I think it's uh, it's appropriate that he played for the Giants at that point in time because that's what he was. Man was huge and, yeah, it was unfortunate because he loads and loads of talent, most feared, arguably the most feared hitter of all time. Ben, they would walk him with the bases loaded. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They're going, okay, we'll give you one. I'm not going to give you four, so take your base. Just Crazy. Yep. Insane. Insane. All right, moving on to number one, and I, I am going to venture to guess that we all have the same one, but I'll let you guys say if you have him or not. I have Lance Armstrong here. Of course, there it's been a long journey with it. You know, the accusations with Floyd Landis and then the investigation into it a few years, years later, and then eventually it was 2013 when he finally admitted to it. So it was a long journey from all of that, but just I feel like so many people around the world were – let down because of the live strong and you know cancer surviving cancer and all that and it was just it by far i feel like the biggest scandal because it was worldwide and just what from somebody who represented all these good things to someone who you know had cheated so he's my number one did you guys see the espn doc last year about him yeah He's he's hard to like at all not a good dude no no he just he's still arrogant as all get out and yeah, I mean, Josh is exactly right. People fell for it. People wanted to believe because of the bracelets and all that stuff. And he was so adamant that he didn't do it when he knew he did. And mm-hmm. so just he's he's number one on, on public enemies list. Lance Armstrong, <laughs> my one. Yep. Lance Armstrong, <laughs> terrible dude, awful dude. <laughs> number one on the list. You're a cheater. Yep. I thought Great cameo in dodgeball, though. He did. I thought you were going to go with Ryan Braun or somebody like that, Ben. <laughs> no. <laughs> D. Gordon. D. Gordon, yeah. D. Gordon, yeah. <laughs> well, that dude needed steroids. He, he could did. blow away it by the wind. Didn't really help him, but he... <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, is his right. brother still playing for the Twins? He actually got his first major league appearance uh, earlier this year. He's not with the big league or- organization now, but I think he's like 25 now. So he, he's kind of passed when he should have been doing like for how high he was drafted. But he's still in the organization, still has a chance to be brought up. He has a lot of speed like his brother. So Yeah. Twins are still Good. playing? Are yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know it's a sore subject. So uh, <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. They didn't put Nelson Cruz in the lineup for me tonight. Well, Dang it! We can all we can all be disappointed in them then altogether. <laughs> we, we know Josh, you you've, you're making it buy sell questions now. Yeah, you know that was them. a couple weeks ago. I had that one in there. That was I could probably make a negatively themed buy sell question about the Twins uh, every week, but try to avoid that. Wow. 